Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Happy April 11th, 2022. Hope you had a great weekend. A friend um, tells me this morning she had a friend visiting her from out of town. And when she was driving her back to the airport, her out-of-town visitor saw someone littering and called 911 on her cell phone to report the littering. She talks to one of the operators who kind of dismisses the call and gives her another number to leave a message on where there's a recording. This out of this out of state friend, this person who called nine one one, is furious. How is it she would be given such short shrift from the hotline to call the police when she's reporting littering? My friend says to her in the car, "Well, you know, <laughs> the police are pretty stretched right now. It's all they can do to keep up with you know serious crime." The out of state person said. Oh, you mean because of that right-wing talking point about how the police are being defunded? That's just a myth. Two things then happened. My friend stopped discussing the topic and moved on to something that didn't require an accurate history lesson of the last two years. But then another realization came as well. To her visiting friend, the leftist, calling the police to report littering is a perfectly normal thing to do because that is why there are police in that mindset. For this, littering, which to them is a serious crime, especially if you believe, as so many do, that harm to our environment is an existential threat. Now we can talk about the litter and trash all around the southwest in the border regions if we want, all from illegal traffic. We can talk about the trashed beach lines around the Mexican coasts, all we want, all from illegal traffic. We could talk about the trashed city of San Francisco, where the streets are being littered with thousands of used syringes as the city as the city stays committed to handing out millions of syringes a year to drug users. But those things will not be discussed in the context of the environment or perhaps not even known about. What we must be aware of is that our environment is in grave and impending danger from non-criminals, from normal human beings, not breaking any laws or trafficking and selling humans or drugs or paraphernalia. And that grave and impending danger is a crime committed, a crime on par with any other reason you'd call 911 in the leftist mindset. Cardiac arrest, a car crash, a pedestrian hit, a breaking and entering, an attempted homicide, or some other violent or observable felony. For Earth, after all, is in the balance, as Al Gore wrote. Why care about an individual life like homicide or a property theft, which is about possession, when you care about and can save the entire world, after all? The environment is facing an existential threat, as John Kerry continues to relate. Entire ecosystems are vanishing before our very eyes, Greta Thunberg, Times Person of the Year, Jeremy adds. We are facing a man-made disaster on a global scale, our greatest threat in thousands of years, writes the most famous documentarian in all of England. Climate crisis is the greatest threat to human rights ever, 
the economies of all nations, the institutional, political, social, and cultural fabric of every state, and the rights of all people and future generations will be impacted. Direct quote, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. I could go on and on with such sirens and alarms. The very kind of language many of us had recognized before with our last existential threat. The one that would lead to a dark winter of illness and death. And that death count being in the millions. Before that, we were in a constitutional crisis because Donald Trump was president. And when it wasn't a constitutional crisis, as Joe Biden would put it, Donald Trump was an existential threat to the United States. That is when he wasn't an an existential threat to the Constitution. We were used to the language, sorry, the assurance that Ronald Reagan would lead us into a nuclear holocaust, which would bring about a nuclear winter. The Democrats even ran ads, television ads on that, from the perspective and view and stage, the eyes of a kindergarten classroom and its students. Before that, before seizing on the dangers of atomic bombs in the hands of Republicans, of course, was the population bomb that it was already too late to do anything about, including, as we were told, the hundreds of millions of people who would be killed because of it, so wrote a professor from Stanford. I suppose if rail lines carrying nuclear weapons to their depots were going through visible streets and highways, people might have called 9-11 and seeing those trains, or they might have called 911 when they heard of a Trump rally in their own town. I will kid you not, actually. I'd wager a year's salary, at least in one venue somewhere, someone did call 911 to report a Donald Trump rally. And I'd bet, too, it'd be a, mo- a lot more than once or in one locality or one state. You see, all of these hysterics are on par, if not worse than things like attempted or actualized breaking and entering or homicide or burglary and vagrancy and the like. Demanding immediate attention from as high an authority as can be reached, presumably starting with law enforcement, armed law enforcement. That's the philosophical basis for calling 911 upon seeing someone throw a piece of trash out of a car. Then there's the other thing. I can't say whether it's bigger or smaller. George Orwell described the revision of history as, quote, all all others accepting the lie which the party imposed. If all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran ran the party slogan, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. All that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Reality control, they called it. Newspeak, doublethink. Come now the notion that the defund the police movement was a myth, a right-wing talking point. A right-wing talking point for what, does anyone ask? To increase police funding? Okay. Then, in a time of rising violent crime, if you assume that that's not a myth, should we increase police funding? Yes or no? If yes, great. If no, what myth are you trying to ascribe to us? Moreover, however, look how fast the left has worked to effort this memory-holding and revision. Used to be history revision took decades, I mean, the 1619 Project only came to us after 245 years of non-revisionism. How about we go to the former vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, the current attorney general of Minnesota, a former congressman by the name of Keith Ellison? Last year, he stated this, citing, uh, being cited at CNN, quote, On Tuesday, a proposal to fundamentally restructure the Minneapolis Police Department in the wake of George Floyd's death in 2020 was soundly defeated a setback that even many Democrats acknowledged could be laid at the feet of the defund the police movement, 
that some within the party embraced last summer. And I think allowing that moniker to fund the police to get out there was not a good thing. Close quote. That's Keith Ellison, Attorney General D of Minnesota. So CNN and The Washington Post believe Democratic Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison that there was a recent defund the police movement from his party and that it was a mistake. So it existed at least there, right, in the precincts of CNN and The Washington Post and in Keith Ellison's mind. It's not a myth. Not so sure. Well, Minnesota was the first ground zero as that's where George George Floyd was. Here's another report from CNN more recently. Nine members of the Minneapolis City Council appeared in an event in June 2020 in which they pledged that they would work to dismantle the police force in the city. They did so on a stage that featured large cutout letters spelling out defund police. We committed to dismantling police as we know it in the city of Minneapolis, said City Council President Lisa Bender, again quoted on CNN. When not calling for defunding the police, the Democrats were calling for the elimination of certain law enforcement agencies. Like Kristen Gillibrand, U.S. Senator from New York, D, who called for exactly that with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It wasn't just the squad. It was Kristen Gillibrand. There was Congressman Cory Bush last, Congresswoman Cory Bush last year. Quote, defunding the police isn't radical. It's real. Or only last month, she tweeted, defund the police, invest in our communities. They're still talking about it. Or perhaps two years ago, when Kamala Harris was on The View and was asked, are you for defunding the police? Here's her answer. Quote, we need to reimagine how we are achieving public safety in America. For far too long, the status quo thinking has been to believe that by putting more police on the street, you're going to have more safety. And that's just wrong. Close quote. Or there's the whole San Francisco story that is five months old. Quoting from the New York Post. After Black Lives Matter protesters last year demanded that cities defund the police, San Francisco Mayor London Breed held a press conference to announce that her city would be one of the first to do exactly that. Breed cut $120 million from the budgets of both San Francisco's police and sheriff's departments. A spokesman for the police officers union warned the cuts could impact our ability to respond to emergencies. Just five months ago, Breed reversed herself in dramatic fashion, announcing that she was making an emergency request to the city board of supervisors for more money for the police to support a crackdown on crime, including open-air drug dealing, car break-ins, and retail theft. As London Breed could instruct our vice president, we experimented with your idea that more police equals more safety is wrong, and it turns out the idea was wrong. We now need more police because of our experiment with your idea. Or, of course, we could look at the most popular civic movement in America from 2020 to 2021, and maybe, I don't know, still, Black Lives Matter. I don't believe there was a Democratic elected official who didn't march to and under their banner, any more than any professional athletic team in most colleges and schools and corporations. One of the official BLM planks was to defund the police. Today, or at least as of checking this morning, it still does. Can one march to and under the Republican Party and maintain that the belief in tax cuts are a myth? Can one march to and under the banner of the Nation of Islam and deny Louis Farrakhan as sexist and racist? Can one march to and under the banner of the Democratic Party and maintain that abortion or tax hikes are not taken seriously? New York Times headline, June 11th, 2021. Departures of police officers accelerated during a year of protest retirements nationwide were up by 45 percent and resignations by 18 percent 
in the 12-month period ending in April, close quote. Why am I energized about this? I could have done so many issues, including transitory inflation and gas price hikes being caused by Russia and sanctions being a deterrent to all this before they weren't, to nobody who wants to leave Afghanistan will be left behind, to I don't believe the Taliban will take over Kabul. I'm energized about this because it will not stop. COVID? Mass closings of businesses and churches and synagogues, arrests for outdoor religious celebrations, shutting down of recovery meetings, not allowing the truly sick or aged to be visited in the hospital, using nurses to spread a political message, using children to satisfy the paranoia and anxiety, self-created paranoia and anxiety of adults. All of this will be and may already mostly be forgotten as will the increased death toll of drug overdoses and suicide attempts as a result of everything I just said. And on we will then plow to the next existential crisis that will make us change everything and shame those not on board. That is what the permanent revolution Marx and Trotsky spoke about requires. Until its failures, as all socialistic experimentation yields, are realized. And then the task will be to memory hole it, just as we have done everything else. One way to memory hole it is to attribute it to a myth or a right-wing talking point. We don't teach children about race, but don't stop us from trying. You will be engaging in a myth. We don't teach children about sex changes, but don't stop us from trying to. You will be repeating right-wing propaganda. We don't have boys trying to compete in women's sports, but don't stop us from trying that, for you will be engaging in a hoax. George Orwell put it that, quote, and so it was with every class of recorded fact, great or small, everything faded away into a shadow world in which finally even the date of the year had become uncertain, close quote. Resist that, I beg of you. Remember, Orwell did not write an instruction manual. He wrote a warning and cautionary manual. Woe be unto society that exchanges and confuses danger for utopia. Where's the 911 for that? I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Um, we're going to talk to Steve Moore a little bit later. He is the co-author of a brand new report from his committee to unleash prosperity. Um, the Wall Street Journal writes it up, that report today, titled The States of COVID Performance. What they did at the committee, what Steve Moore and his team did, was they compared the outcomes of all the 50 states on three uh, criteria. Education, education, excuse me, education, the economy, and health. Education, the economy, and health. And it's a tremendously important piece of research, and it's been published now by the National Bureau of Economic Research, um, and it deserves wide attention. This is going to be actually a theme for me for a while, accountability, the issue of accountability. Will there be any political consequences for not just getting things so wrong, but getting things so wrong while shaming and silencing those who were right. Beware. Beware. It may be very, very good news to see that Russia is getting pushed back a bit here and there in Ukraine. 
That is obviously very good news if true. We'll check it out with Brandon Weikert in just a little bit. We'll get his update. But beware what the crisis industrial complex will throw at you next. They're becoming a little unoriginal, I have to tell you. They're starting to bring back COVID here and there. Do you remember there was about a month and a half where people were saying, where's Anthony Fauci? Where's Anthony Fauci? Well, let's 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 stop with the power of attraction. <laughs> Can we quit conjuring these things up? Because he's back. You're seeing him now doing more and more interviews again on the networks and not just the uh, on the cable and, and, and news networks and not not just the uh, the recondite podcasts. Uh, OK, <laughs> let's let's not ask that question again. A, B, you're seeing uh, the head of uh, the, yeah, the head of the CDC saying that the air, the airline masking requirement, uh, which is supposed to expire later this month, is not necessarily going to expire later this month. We are now hearing about the dangerous variant, new variant that is on the scene. Um, so they're getting a little unoriginal. And that's why I think it is so important studies like this get out. How about the study from Johns Hopkins that was practically memory hold the moment it came out back in February, showing that all the um, all the mediation, uh, all the mediation effects from the lockdowns uh, may have given us an improvement on mortality at a rate of about six tenths of a percent saving about 1,800 lives total. What about that report? Whatever happened to that? Or, you know, the report that showed the record, the uptick in uh, the uptick, the increase, the dramatic increase in drug overdose deaths and the increase in ED admissions and suicide attempts and now all the other stuff we're learning about children's social and emotional distress, never mind the learning loss. We're not going to hear about it. I have quoted you teachers unions officials, the head of the teachers union in Los Angeles, saying learning loss itself is a myth, just like I suppose defunding the police was a myth. This is how they do it. We got to figure out the better way for how we're going to do it. Because this accountability issue, folks, if we don't hold them accountable for bad decisions and shaming those of us that had the right ones at the same time and the censoring of us, if we don't fix that at the ballot box, be prepared for more of it. And who knows what the next existential crisis they come up with will be. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski with his culture and economy update. John is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website, and he has his own show, The Word on Wealth, heard every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. As optimistic and energizing as he is, I, I, uh, I was listening to your show this Saturday, John, while I was uh, while I was running. You're, you're, you're good company, man. You're good company. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Seth. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I hope you had a good weekend. Great. I did. Thank you so much. Yes. I guess it's not going to be a good day tomorrow on the economic news front. We're being told, or at least as I'm reading, we should be prepared for a really bad report on inflation. Are you picking up on that? Yeah. I mean, the White House came out today and, and basically said the same thing. They're kind of heading, heading it off at the pass here a little bit, saying that they expect uh, you know these pressures to be maybe higher than expected. 
But you know what's really interesting? I look at all the news that's coming out, and there is so much talk about recession, recession, recession. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. And and I started, I just happened to be reading another article here um, that was kind of interesting because it talks about all of the uh, the pressures that we're feeling right now mm-hmm. on housing, on uh you know, gas, energy prices, and so forth. But yet we are seeing some positive. I, <laughs> I, talked, I sent something to you that says I'm not much, not much positivity today. But I started reading through this and started thinking, you know, there are some positive aspects of this. We are seeing wages. The jobs reports aren't bad, right? Yeah, I mean, we've got low um, unemployment here, uh, lowest since 1968. Uh, we also are seeing uh, wages, which have increased. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of a top, I think, in the housing market right now, although interest rates may be a, a little reason uh, for that to happen. Uh, with the average, uh, I think, cost of a, of a home right now, the monthly payments because of mortgage rates rising is up about uh, two or $300 a month in an in a, uh, expense on a mortgage payment. And those types of pressures are going to maybe cut back a little bit on some of the personal um, you know, discretionary type spending that we might have. So I think the supply and demand issue is always, a, you know, a cause for inflation. But I think what's going to also start happening, Seth, is we're going to start to see some uh, maybe constraint spending in the uh, household now because of these prices. And that's also going to add to maybe lowering the demand, which hopefully can bring down some of these uh this inflationary pressure that we're feeling. Yeah, no, I think I think the 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 limiting of uh, personal uh, expenditures, personal spending, individual spending, uh, is, is probably going to come even naturally, especially as you know, yeah. e- even especially as you know, some of the COVID funding has run. But unless the government stops printing uh, at the rate it's printing, I don't know if we can compete with that. I mean, the inflationary pressures seem to be coming in a yeah. lot of cases from the from the from the administration. It seems to me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, and it's been something that's been ongoing for a long time, and I know everybody's been talking about it, and that we're going to have this bubble at some point because you know how the national debt is just continuing to to crank higher and higher and higher, and it's. That's not the consumer's fault. No, right. That's not, you know, the average, you know, worker's fault that the government doesn't know how to, uh, you know, budget. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely things that we as the average American, and we can't do anything about that. The only thing we can do is we have to be careful of how we spend our money and we have to budget. Uh, it is kind of a, uh, a scenario that most Americans just don't have any input in, and that's it's sad. So until November, and, I was just going to say <laughs> until until yeah. the vote. But I would say this is we've got to hold yeah, uh, these right. uh, these officials that's accountable. Right. That's a big issue. I mean, even if there is a sweep in the House and the Senate, right. Seth, we've got to hold them accountable. Oh, that's because, right, because Republicans are fan too here. Yeah, time you bet, yeah. you bet. There you is bet. not all one sided. No, and so, no. You know, talk is cheap, but but the debt is not cheap. That's right. And and we need to we need to get a handle on it. There's no question. But you're right. Our vote is our, our you know our vote uh, is going to be really meaningful uh, coming in November. Thank you, John. You bet. 
Securities and Advisory Services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. Thank you, Seth. Hey, John, thank you. Yeah. God bless and Godspeed. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature. I take their fruits and veggies every single day. Whole food nutrition. The fruits and veggies are made from fresh whole produce through their advanced cold vacuum process. The vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruits and vegetables are preserved so you get the vital nutrition in each capsule. It's the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, added sugar, anything, nothing. Nothing but fruits and vegetables, all natural, 100%, not 99 point something, 100%. Third-party tested for all of the above, of course, as well as for pesticides and heavy metals. You want to keep uh, keep yourself healthy. You want to improve your health. You want to boost your immunity. Balance of nature is what I recommend. I've been doing it for three years, and it has been keeping me in fine fettle for exactly that same amount of time. Balanceofnature.com. Check out their fruits and veggies. And if you go there and do so, make sure to use discount code BALANCE. You know, one of the things that's interesting about universities and colleges and universities, one of the things that's interesting about them is that very often they try to exist in the dark, in the sense that they don't want too much of the outside world peeking in because what we see is pretty rotten. It's the old philosopher from Cambridge said, the uh, Professor William Smith said, the, the, the chief task of your education is to know when a man is speaking rot. Well, you shine a light inside these places and you kind of get it. But once in a while, they are so shameless about these things they are so far removed from where the public is, they don't realize that they're speaking rot in public. They don't realize that they're exposing and indicting themselves. And we see this from the fallout at the University of Chicago from last week's conference. One of the interesting things to note about the fallout from it is it has a lot of reverberations, and none of it came from you know, a need to call the police. None of this was the result of violence attaching to the speakers. You know why? All the speakers were liberal. All the speakers were liberal. And the controversy, the controversy that came from three students, three students who dared to ask questions of these liberal panelists that was that were being exposed, you know, on cable, none of them acted violently. None of them shouted. None of them held signs. They asked respectable questions. And and what's interesting further about that is that this was kind of, as they say, a heavy, a, a heavy hitting set of panelists. The conference was titled Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy. Many of you, we talked about it last week. Many of you have seen uh, highlights of it. Many of you have seen the social media questioning and answering of Ann Applebaum and Jonah Goldberg and Brian Stelter. What's interesting, you think about the attendees from, yeah, Ann Applebaum and Jeffrey Goldberg was there. He's the editor of The Atlantic. Brian Stelter is the media 
um, the media uh, reporter for CNN. Uh, and then, yeah, Steve Hayes, who was the editor of the Weekly Standard, and now he and Jonah Goldberg have their own project. Uh, I don't even remember what it's called. It doesn't matter. Is it the Bulwark? I don't know. It doesn't matter. These were heavy hitters, according to the elite culture and, you know, the high-minded. And Applebaum, Jonah Goldberg, Steve Hayes, Brian Stelter, CNN. And, and what's interesting about that is they folded, this, they folded like, like, like a wet noodle, to mix the metaphor. They folded like a wet suit. They folded immediately the moment a simple question was asked by no one more advanced than a freshman at the college. I think that's interesting. The high culture and media threw the best they had, and they went down in the face of simple questions from honest, calm students who had done their research. Let's remember that. The people that we are critical of, the people who are shaping too many young minds and too many adult minds, aren't that good. They aren't that good. This isn't the best and brightest America has produced. It's just they are that rigid and that respected by their own echo chamber. Their own echo chamber thinks they're good. So they say, well, let's go put on a conference at the University of Chicago and get out our points about disinformation and the erosion of democracy. And a few students at the University of Chicago, freshmen, said, we see you coming. And they took them on, and these people couldn't answer their way out of a paper bag. Daniel Schmidt, one of the students at the University of Chicago, wrote this up saying the Atlantic Gab Fest was billed as a space for rigorous dialogue, where the light of truth would scatter the darkness of disinformation. But the dialogue and criticism, it turned out, didn't extend to the blue check media's own role in proliferating disinformation. Even before the event got underway, he writes, I was skeptical. The conference struck me as one more chance for America's corporate class to collect fat honorarium checks in exchange for addressing obedient students keen to join that class. My suspicions were soon confirmed. Given the opportunity to ask questions, most of my fellow students lobbed softballs at the speakers in worshipful tones more befitting a royal audience than a university. I wondered if I would be able to ask at least one critical query and receive, it an, and receive an honest, meaningful response. As it happened, I got a chance to question Ann Applebaum, the Pulitzer-winning historian and Atlantic staff writer, following her session with Obama consigliere David Axelrod. For nearly an hour... Applebaum had effused about how important it is to fight disinformation, so I asked her if she thinks the media acted inappropriately in immediately dismissing the New York Post's reporting on the Hunter files, Hunter Biden files, as Russian disinformation, a claim we now know to be completely false. It wasn't meant to be a gotcha question, yet Applebaum gave a stupefyingly arrogant answer. She said, quote, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think it's totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation. I don't think the Hunter Biden business relationships have anything to do with who should be the president of the United States. So I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that would be my problem with that as a major news story, close quote. Well, in 2020, two tech giants, Facebook and Twitter, Twitter had throttled the Post's expose on Hunter's business dealings, which implicated one of two major party presidential nominees – and the media had uncritically echoed the false assertion of 50 former spies that this was a Russian misinformation campaign. 
And yet here's Ann Applebaum nearly two years later at an event dedicated to combating disinformation, claiming she doesn't find any of this to be interesting. It's nonsense. Back when the Hunter Files were a live crisis for the Biden camp, Applebaum published a lengthy essay in The Atlantic that aimed to discredit the reporter who broke the laptop story. So if she doesn't find the story interesting, why did she, along with an entirety of corporate media, dedicate so much time and effort to trying to legitimate censorship of the Post's reporting? We'll have more from this freshman college student in just a moment. May a child lead them. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. What does Al Pacino say in uh, Son of a Woman about uh, the kid he's defending? He's going to make you proud someday. This Daniel Schmidt at University of Chicago, he's already making his parents and his, I hope, school proud, talking about his question of Ann Applebaum at the University of Chicago's conference last, last week. He writes, Applebaum's haughtiness perfectly encapsulates why so many Americans are distrustful of the corporate outlets that claim to defend truth against post-truth disinformation. Figures like Applebaum don't actually seem to care about disinformation. They just use the word as a tool to advance their own class and political interests. He's focused on Ann Applebaum. Might as well have said the same thing about Brian Stelter or, for that matter, Jonah Goldberg, who equally dismissed the story along Ann Applebaum's line. There was another Goldberg there, Jeffrey Goldberg. He's the editor-in-chief at The Atlantic. He put a cherry on top of the whole thing when he lamented at the conference that it had been, quote, the subject of disinformation campaigns, close quote. Assuredly, he was referring to Daniel Schmidt's question. Of course he was, as Applebaum's spluttering answer went viral on social media, garnering nearly three million views. Disinformation apparently is when the self-appointed guardians of truth are exposed as partisan operators and handmaidens of high-tech censorship. In the end, the conference's message was unmistakable. College students don't ask critical and honest questions. Sit and obey. You all have made it to a top 10 university. Now you're expected to behave like us. Learn to show utter contempt for millions of your fellow citizens. Welcome to the elite and good luck with those Yale Law applications. Yeah, that is the message they are trying to send. But again, I think the message for us is to look at how easy, how easy it was to take down the best and the brightest. There was no grand strategy. There was no grand pre-planned effort. They sent the best and the brightest, and a couple handful of college freshmen just decided to ask a few honest questions, having done their research. More research, by the way, more research than the people who were circulating this notion that it was a Russian misinformation campaign. You know what? When we take back Congress, we ought to hold hearings. And I don't care if it's the Oversight Committee or another committee, but we ought to hold hearings of each of those intelligence officials that used against us, that used against us their security clearances, which they still had, to say this was Russian misinformation, and ask them under oath on what evidence did they rely to tell the American people that the Hunter Biden laptop story was misinformation. They should be asked that under oath. Hashtag accountability. We'll be right back.